go to thecognitiverampage.com. Feel free to contribute, donate, keep fueling the change, whatever it is that you guys can do to help continue to allow this to happen. None of this would happen without you and your love and your support and, of course, your contributions. Love you. Cognitive Rampage, a scientific approach to self-discovery, change, and life optimization is now available on Amazon. What I do in the book is I fuse the latest research from the cognitive, behavioral, social, environmental, and biological sciences. It's not just motivational fluff and wordplay. Now, I do talk about my own story, so there's some kind of inspiration in there, but I'm not just spinning words and hyping you up with motivational fluff. Whether you need a life change, simply enjoy self-exploration and optimization, want to discover new hidden passions, or reduce the life-altering effects of toil, anxiety, depression, all of those issues, this book is for you. This book is not a cookie-cutter method of steps to follow. You'll customize the scientific framework with your own personal beliefs to build your authentic change. That way you assimilate it faster and quicker. It's not just copying my beliefs and telling you step one, step two. These will come from your beliefs as how you extend and build the foundation upon this framework. You'll use this framework throughout your whole life, through every change, and through every age. These are not empty words of motivational spin. This book is an experience. The Cognitive Rampage is based in science and is built from your beliefs. It's a path to help you unleash your desired change. You can apply this method on your own with no harmful side effects. Yeah, 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 yeah. Welcome to Cognitive Rampage Podcast. Hope you're taking care of you. What's so civil about war anyway? That's a throwback. Can you name the movie that that speech is from? Do you know that movie? Give you three seconds. Three. Callers call in now. No, I'm just kidding. But that's from Cool Hand Luke. That's one of my favorite movies. It's a good throwback film. A uh, little Paul Newman in there. If you haven't seen uh, Cool Hand Luke, pick that uh, movie up for sure. But uh, I was playing it the other night, and I couldn't help but just think about America and the, the state we're in, right? That song is called Civil War. And at times on social media, it can feel that way. It can appear, right, that we're in some sort of civil war, if you will. If you watch this thing long enough, uh, that'll get you, right? So you just turn the top stories on and let it rotate and see if you're not freaked out by the end of it. But there's such a duality that exists in our nation that it's beginning to get scary. We're so polarized on so many issues, not just polarized politically. Uh, we're polarized on many issues outside of that. And each team or party is holding on to their beliefs with such conviction and not being willing to budge on anything. You know, that's for me, that's the problem with the teams that we identify with is once you wear the jacket, put on the hat, whatever it is to join the team, once you do that, you are wearing. I guess ideals, not I guess, but ideals or beliefs of that group that come with that label. That's why these labels are scary. And we just for easy conversation, Republican, Democrat, right? The minute you throw that label on, there's so many different uh, ways to describe yourself politically now. But just using those two, two polar opposites, when you wear a label like that, 
well, then you start to take on beliefs that you may not know much about or you just have to, right, because they identify that way or you start to call yourself a this kind of Democrat, a this kind of Republican, right? And you got to be careful. And when we hold on to those views, those teams and those beliefs that come with those structures, well, I think that's what's partly leading to our duality, to our division, to our polarized country on so many topics. And while we do that, while, while we all, we're all guilty of it in, in one sense or another, right, of whatever we say we adhere to, right? You've probably heard myself on the podcast call myself a radical multiple times. That's the closest I, I usually say if I had to be a label. I just don't believe the system in place will fix the system in place. I'd like to hope to, but uh, that feels good, but I don't think it's rational. But my point is we all hold on to it. So I, I'd say we, myself included, right? So we hold on to these polarized views so much. They're based in our experiences many times, right? Of what we've seen, what we've been through, what we've heard, which is why we don't release those. But we're holding on to these things as people are dying, as people are getting sicker, as things get worse. And it's like we're claiming a part of a ship, but the whole thing's sinking and no one's letting go of their side of the ship to fix the hole. And one of those major topics is the opening topic I'm talking about tonight, which is healthcare. Now, either you just went, fuck you, Adam, seriously, or you're going to fall asleep, right? That's what we think of, whether it's economics or healthcare. And those two go hand in hand, don't they? I mean, that's what you hear is how's the economy versus healthcare and the number one response, right? Who's going to pay for it? And for me, I don't want to open up the healthcare argument here. I'm not trying to talk about socialized medicine here versus uh, capitalism. I'm just talking pure fucking human decency is what I'm talking about with healthcare right now. Because you can argue your labels from your parties or your beliefs or your economic systems that you adhere to and call it, well, it's the best thing we've got going. But while we hold on to these things, we can't even logically come to a place of agreeing when all of our families are depending on this. And this is the stupidity, that ship I referenced earlier. We're all affected by the cost of health care. We all are. Now, the rich, the top percentage, no. But they are affected by it, but they're affected because they will die too. They're subjective. They're subjected to diseases, environmental influence, not sure they have money to protect themselves, doctors to pay for and specialists to see, and being able to monitor themselves 24-7, right? We follow them all on Facebook and social media, the biohackers, right? We buy their shit. Sure, maybe that percentage can live like that, but for the most part, Healthcare, what it is and what it means affects all of us. And as we hold on to party lines and economic systems of belief, you, me, your neighbor, your kids are all suffering while we hold on to those beliefs in the meantime. Now, this, again, is an argument for quotations Obamacare or against or repealing so walk the fuck back if that's not where I'm going. That's where we get lost, choosing the teams and yelling sound bites at each other. We picked up from the ticker across the bottom or some uh, article we didn't read, just the headline. 
And it's an insane system. You all know it. You've been through it. Get injured. Need an x-ray. Now you got to go see your doctor first. Pay them. They may be able to do it at the office, but more than likely they're going to just write you a referral to then go get the x-ray, which is the thing you know you fucking needed. Insurance keeps that in the loop. This is ridiculous. The cost of healthcare is insane. I mean, the average right now, the average cost of healthcare for a monthly premium for a single person in good health, the premiums are like around $300, $320 a month. And families, they're starting on the average is $833 a month. When you look at most family and the average income, it'll vary with who you research and look up. But when you have joint income, the average is about fifty nine, sixty thousand per se, but uh, or so. But when it's a single person, it's about thirty five thousand, give or take thirty eight thousand, whatever. Email me if I'm way off, but give you a plus or minus there. But when you take that kind of income on the average basis, now let's not get it twisted, right? A little side note: if you make Thirty-eight or forty thousand dollars a year. You're in the top one percent of the world. Now that's the world and in income. That's perspective for you. So I don't want to sound ungrateful either, right? So, but if that's what you're making, that's the average or around there. That we all know the cost of living is retarded, right? I mean, just trying to get a one bedroom. So if you add that, being a single person with three twenty a month. 833 if you're a family now because you have the combined income, right? But it's still more than double what it is if you're single, right? So you have the family plan. 833, think about them. I mean, your family or anybody else. What that 833 could go to or has to go to. If you got kids that are in sports, are you kidding me? I mean, as schools get rid of sports faster and faster, now they're making their own departments. They basically pay for the seasons themselves, the travel, they fundraise. So they turn our, our kids into little salespeople going to sell candy and collect money for this. You know, it's all over the place, right? And and then as parents, you got to pay even more than the leagues, right? It's expensive. They got one kid, two kids that want to play sports, right? I mean, add that money up. And then you're looking at 833 that you're asking, you're asking a family to pay. Now, sure, I get the other side. It's fucking health care, Adam. You know you're going to need it. So that's just what you pay for. You just put it in there, right? Don't email me either if you're a bootstrapper, okay? Look, I've been an entrepreneur since I can remember. And I've been pulling bootstraps for a very long time. So when you tell me, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, well, you probably walk to school in the snow uphill both ways at the same time, right? on one leg, right? So, I mean, the world of entrepreneur, it's the new starving artist these days for sure, right? So the bootstrap idea of picking yourself up, it's really like telling somebody, you know what, you just didn't want it bad enough, right? You you just didn't work hard enough. When things fail, things don't work out, right? Naturally. And so any idea, I'm going on my tangent like I do, but any idea, any kind of income like that, if you're trying to then afford that, you just write, that's what you say. You're just supposed to pay for it. That's just what you pay for. I get it. But the cost is ridiculous, right? If you call up and say, hey, what's the price of an x-ray? No one can tell you shit. Now, some of the local little smaller things that are popping up since your cares, right? They can tell you a basic, well, if it's one or two pictures, it's this or three. Now we're paying by the picture. Okay, we're getting somewhere. 
But the idea is you have to first then go through a primary care to get a referral, to go get something you know you need. Then you see that person who more than likely is going to refer you to a specialist after you've had the x-rays done, which is what you do, right? You go to an ortho. Now you're seeing the specialist at the ortho each time paying a fee along the way. Mind you, paying your copay plus whatever you're paying for the month to have the damn insurance, right? It's insane. The costs vary. It's, it's a fucking mess, and we allow this. And so we stand on our party platforms attached to our economic beliefs. Meanwhile, some kid is not getting the care that he needs or she needs and dies. Or maybe a family member you and I know goes to a hospital and, well, they don't respond quickly and get the things done they need to because, well, they're not insured. So they let you sit there for a day or two and, well, maybe you die. See, if we all lived on an island, right, just, I don't know, 100 of us, and two or three of us had some skills of being a doctor to be able to help people, do you think if something happened to somebody and we were bringing them to that doctor, no, no, I'm going to need two coconuts for doing the service. No, you're going to help somebody. And the doctors, too, they get a lot of shit, but they're caught in the middle of this shit the same way. Everybody's drowned. That's what I said. We're all on the ship holding on to our parts as the whole thing's going down in the end, inevitably. But we're going to hold on to our little piece of wood on it. You know, the doctors are caught in it, too. Some of them are drug pushing and peddling. They know it. Some of them aren't. Some of them are changing between that. And they're caught between insurance companies and patients that want to sue them for sneezing. Because patients forget that it's a research business. It's a science business. It's theoretical many times. Certain things work for this, yes, but they're developing, they're growing every day. But we, I've heard people show up, demand care, and then ask for pills, like give me the pill that fixes this, as if they can just wave the magic wand and fix you. It doesn't work that way. Patients too, we're included. We've been a bad patient or two a time, right? Pushing for things. I've seen most people tend to fight the doctor and what's happening, right, of what they're saying to do, et cetera. And then the doctor, well, sometimes you need to, right, because the doctor isn't responding and the hospital isn't, right, because they're held. Everyone's caught in a fucking mess and we're screaming, no, that's socialism. And then we're screaming, no, capitalism and competition's better. No, we do it this way. It's just something you save up for. Pull your bootstraps. Healthcare is it. Meanwhile, somebody died tonight. Tonight and tomorrow. In the next day. And this is just medical health care I'm talking about. With all the fucking talk on the news about mental health and awareness I see on social media. Fuck, the help we're offering is ridiculous. What? This is what, we're not even in the mental health realm yet. I'm only talking about what it is if you just say break a collarbone. Patricia and I, we were playing Frisbee, right? She got all Super Bowl with it. Went for the dive, tuck and roll, got a little pop. Thought it was broken, right? Had to call, get the thing, went through this whole idea. It happens. I mean, you come out of pocket cash, sure, they give you a cash deal. But I could have bought a little used car lot for what the hell you just pay, right? So you weigh the options even, right? I'll just take care of myself as naturally as I can, be as healthy as I can along the way. But stuff still does happen. We still want to test and be proactive. Everything is fucking reactive when it comes to our health care. In this nation, in this country, I don't care. Whatever the fucking world's doing, good for them. But I got to talk about what's affecting here, what affects my daughter's future, your kid's future, yours, mine, my neighbors, my family, right here. Just for medical care, it's fucking ridiculous. 
And however any person can stand on a platform when I talk about or anyone talks about people dying due to the healthcare issues that are wrapped up in it, and we're talking about kids not receiving treatment, even as far as not letting marijuana be legal, shit, that should be a treatment for everybody and be another one. That's my belief. Access to everything, right? If you can help and treat it and do research on it, the world should be at access in the scientific community, which it is, but it doesn't get funded that way. But my point is it should be open and available if this country is so great and our medical system is so great because that's the other argument they make, right? You yell at the healthcare system until you need it. Well, sure, because it's what's left, right? I'm not going to be like, fuck it. Some people do and die. Some people use it and die. But if your response is when we talk about people dying and you say something like, who's going to pay for it? Well, then you may want to question the humanity that exists within yourself. Because seriously, who's going to pay for it? If it's your ass drowning, and we got nine people in a lifeboat that only holds nine, and you're drowning, I bet you're going to want on that fucking lifeboat, aren't you? Well, the rules are ten. How are we going to make up for the weight? Now your ass is getting in the boat. But it's not you until you're there, right? People that talk like that, but I can't help but find it that most people that talk like that are rich as fuck. Most people that say who are going to pay for it, you already got the money. You can afford that. But it's ridiculous. We hold on to these labels and these teams that we choose why people die. And the hoops you got to go through. Sure, we we could take the argument as far as you want to go. If you can't afford the kid already, why are you having kids? I'm willing to go that far. Hell, I've said before, man, you should have a license to have a kid. I mean, hell, you need a license to drive a car, I'm, I'm sure. I don't know how you implement it or regulate it or what's, you know, what's next, right? They'll take our freedoms away. I get it. I hear you. But fuck, this is the most important thing you can do in this world. And you you got to barely take some stupid court test for it to get to sign a paper by the way, which also marriage contracts to me are retarded. It's just, you can't use that word, but it's, it's archaic. That's what I should say. I mean, you're, you're tying in contracts. If two people make an agreement, it's what it is. I see too many people destructed from marriages that didn't work out. That's, that's a whole nother podcast, man. But I mean, it's nuts. And we, and, and we don't, we don't do anything, right? We'd, who's going to pay for it? I mean, I don't know. Let's, let, let's let's link the next topic here because I went on my rant already. I mean, if the answer is who's going to pay for it, right? If that's generally the response, right? Or I'm going to get called a socialist, right? The two things I do think that should be open and available in this great country, as we like to call it, is education and health care. If th- those, I mean, these are like what we used to lead in this stuff, right? We used to, we, we were innovators. We were the, that we were leading the world in that kind of thing. Now we've just become a competitor in the world. We focused all our scientific developments on weapons. We look at that. We, we, we raise money to find treatments for cancers and we celebrate that we keep people alive a few more months. Sure. Cure things. We used to do that. That's, that's what it was about. We, we, we led in that way. So who's going to pay for it or how do we pay for it? I'm not going to tell you to tax the rich people either because it's kind of fucked up. I mean, if you made your money and you did something and it's on the paper, I'm not saying it's ethical. I'm not saying the way you made your dough is ethical. Maybe you'd made it from hard work and it just worked out that way. But I'm not going to say the, the, the portions of profit you receive for the work that was done is going to be uh, equal, right? I mean, it may not. But that's not the point. 
maybe a point. But if who's going to pay for it is the the answer to saving children's lives or making sure that seven-year-old or that 97-year-old has a place where they can walk in and get the most optimal health care that our great country and technology has provided, then if that's the end, if the, if the response is who's going to pay for it, well, there is a blank check that goes to the Pentagon for security, for military. We don't know. If we're willing to write checks that big that kill kids in other countries, then how the fuck can't we write checks that big that save kids in our own country? Because that's where we have to put the focus. See, for me, it's not about giving everybody one or two of the antibiotics because you got to finish all of them for anybody to get healed. Is you give the younger generation all the antibiotics and you find a way. You don't spoil them. It's not about hard work. And don't give me that shit that you need to raise them like you do. And then you tell me that you, you want to make your kid better than you, but you raise them just like you were raised. You got to raise them differently. Think outside the box, but reach out to the kids. Hell, for me, foster care should be this amazing village that this, great, this kid gets to go to and receives optimal child-rearing experience whatever that means by scientific definition today. But that's what foster care should mean now. Now, foster care, you're like, fuck. Good luck. We don't nurture that. Hell, we cut education. We cut activities involved in education to fund a blank check to create weapons. Now, I can hear the other side too going, well, hey, everyone else says, look at Russia's military, China's military, right? Look at all this. Hey, I get you. I'm sure we're up there. But without a generation better than us behind us, well, then I don't know what all those missiles are fucking guarding. If all those missiles and guns, troops are supposed to be guarding our freedoms, I'm going I'm, I'm to just leave freedom out of it. And I'm going to just talk about our young ones. If that's who they're protecting, we're spending a lot of money doing that. And we're not spending any fucking money to take care of them medically, mentally, cerebrally, behaviorally, physically. School lunches are a fucking joke. The education system is a fucking joke. You're not teaching them. Making small drones. Teachers are caught in the shit into the stick too. Just like doctors are caught in the shit into the stick. The system is fucked. That, that, that's just where it's at. So where do we get the money to pay to save our kids, to make a better generation than us, to make sure that seven-year-old doesn't fucking die, to make sure that little three-year-old gets the treatment that works, CBD, to make sure that veteran gets that psychedelic treatment that stops the nightmares and 10 years of addiction. You pull the money out of defense. I'm sure a lot of troops would love to come home and start working on the infrastructure within our own country. Not bullshit infrastructure like jacked up local level, jacked up budgets that only increase each year so they can keep getting more money for the little department and jacking up more roads. Build it right the first time. You know it's a major city. Build the five fucking lane highway now. Hell, let's get away from cars. Let's get back to public transportation even somehow. Something. High-speed Tesla's killing it. Bring the troops home and let's put them in the infrastructure of our country. 
There's work to do here. Keep the defense where you have to. But again, if we don't fix the generations under us and fix what they're walking into, then I don't know what the fuck these nukes are guarding. I just don't. Now, for me, I watch the rotation of this nuclear horrific display of words between what's supposed to be a stoic leader of our country and some whack job of another country literally having a fucking Twitter war. We're talking about nuclear fucking bombs that we shouldn't have made them in the first place. Our species crossed the line the minute we developed something that wipes out our species. There's some fucking, some fuse there that snapped once we decided to do that. Defend ourselves by inventing something that exterminates ourselves. There's some line we crossed there already. But on social media, like it's a fucking joke, see? Like they're just joking back and forth. He'll launch something, right? And if you watch the loop, you start to buy into this, right? I'm just going, man, because it's a huge threat. We're talking, we're talking nukes here. So this is huge, right? This is this is species ending social media conversation, but I can't I one that we still do that the head monkey in charge thing is archaic to me that we have this one person that leads us all to snap out of that fucking monkey brain bullshit. I can't believe we even still do that. That monkey actually believes the shit. He's up there saying, well, I'm it's my opinion that matters most now, isn't it? I'm like, listen to that fuck. I mean, this is crazy, but what if right now I'm also starting to see other stories come out on other news sites and other places online, right? That our nuclear arsenal, our, our, our everything that goes with it, I, people joke that I fucking say it wrong. Nuclear, my nuclear, I don't fucking care. That our fucking arsenal is outdated. That it needs refurbishing, right? He, his last quote was tip-top shape. You're talking about mass destruction weapons. Weapons of mass destruction. Tip-top shape. Fucking crazy person. And how it needs an upcharge, a, a, it needs a lot of money. Let's just say in the Bs, right? We're deep in the billions here, right? Uh, to refurbish this, right? To give it a, an, an, a tip-top shape money. Well, what do you do if you want to get a budget approved of that much money, knowing what it needs to go toward mental health, medical health, I mean, let's not bring up the Vegas shooting, the Pulse shootings. God forbid we, we find a different way to handle this approach, right? Meanwhile, these things going on in our countries, fires burning out of control, hurricanes and floods wiping out uh, Puerto Rico and other places that have been affected by it. I mean, earthquakes going on too. I mean, all this stuff that we could be taking care of home now. That, how do you get a country to ignore all of that, the need for education, the need for a change in healthcare, real change, you know, the need for a spark in, in, in our economy? Economy, a change in technology. When, 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 how do you get a society to do that? Well, you scare the absolute shit out of them by making them feel like at any minute this crazy dude with the fucked up haircut is going to launch a missile on LA and start a nuclear war. Because then, if you get people scared enough, well, then they're going to go, hell yeah, spend that billions. You, that's right. Jack up that truck, make it bigger, make bigger bombs, 2,000 something nuclear weapon. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, I, I don't even know how many. There's even a website you can go to uh, to watch all the, the tests that have been done and that continue to go on all over the world. I forget. But they just show you this map. It just blip, 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 showing up everywhere. It's insane. But I think 
well, what, what's the real pitch here? Is it, do I need to worry about Kim Jong stupid? I mean, right. I needed to worry about ISIS. Okay. This was the other cell, right? Let's, let's not go deep into how they sell the fear, but it seems like the fear keeps getting worse and worse and worse of what I need to fear and what I'm supposed to be scared of. I mean, we're, we're pulling out the nuke card now that any minute we're back to, we're back to the cold war. Cold War in the 80s now. I'm going to start crawling under my desk here in the podcast studio. I mean, that's where we're at, right? So with all this threat and all the proxy wars we already got going on anyway, from the Ukraine to Syria and on down, I mean, then then there's Russia, right? They're all their weapons too. And so you, all this fear-mongering. Sounds to me like it's, I mean, with more tweets and more half-talks, et cetera, it's hard for me not to see that, all right, you're just trying to convince this country to ignore all the shit that needs change here. So we'll all get approved. So all the Congress and all the senators that vote on this shit that want to get reelected, well, they're only going to make that vote to pass all that money to go to that place if, well, their communities, their states are behind it because they're, well, scared and we need to up our arsenal. Again. We're floating the idea of spending billions of dollars upping our nuclear capabilities. And no one's really talking about it. Just kind of chiming about it. Saul's piece on Vice about it. See it popping up a little bit. But how long? Are they just doing the poll, seeing how we're feeling? What we're leaning toward? I mean... We got in the war because of Pearl Harbor. We knew Pearl Harbor was going to happen. It wasn't a surprise attack as they sold it. We knew it was coming. Didn't really do anything because after that happened, because we were we didn't want to be in the war at all. We were out. We were finished. Too much killing from the last one. We were done. Pearl Harbor happens. Boom, we're in the war. So how far does this get pushed before enough sways the votes? To put the billions toward it. How scared can you get. To make you forget. About the generations. To come after us. Or maybe you say that's the point Adam. Because of the generations coming after us. Is why we have to nuke this dude right away. That's why we got to wipe out everybody. That's a Muslim you might say right. Well. You're out of your mind. We have to put the medicine, the focus toward the generations coming after us. Otherwise, these missiles and these troops that have been fighting overseas, God knows how long now. I don't think my daughter's been alive. And we've not been at war somewhere. She's 17. That's crazy to think about. Bring the boys and girls home. Bring the men and women home. That's what I would say. Let's build new cool shit here. Let's do what America does and bond together and find ways to maybe move faster and save energy. Let's get off this oil fucking tit so we can get out of the Middle East for real. Quit acting like we're over there to bring democracy to people. Get off the oil tit. I mean, let's come together. Let's see what the minds can come up with and all the states. Hell, let's dump the states. I don't care. Just do something. Put a focus back here. Start building that. Become that inspiration. 
right now it feels like if we're going out helping other countries i know we have to there's definitely countries that need our support there's people out there hungry people we need to do that and do that more but if we got hungry kids here it's real hard me kind of supporting your mission to go somewhere else and give somebody a blanket and i know there's a kid right now that needs a blanket more than likely that kid's sitting in the er been sitting there for three fucking days trying to get treatment shit man healthcare and nukes are crazy the third topic is the experience and they kind of they, they find a way to link with these because to keep you distracted but you got to have experiences in life now a reference well i'm really gonna have to look up and find the paper I wrote a paper in college. I was finishing a business degree about how marketing was the end of the human psyche. It was over for us after that once we uh, invented marketing because now we started tweaking with the human psyche, what is and what's supposed to be social constructs. And we're not just, we, we weren't, we're no longer just influenced by the direct culture and environment we lived in. Marketing now was telling us how we were supposed to live, the pretty things we were supposed to get and experience. But see, I think along the way, well, we caught on. We got on to their marketing bullshit. You know, we caught on to what you're selling me, if you will. And so a lot happened. A lot happened. You still buy into it, right? But they've moved from buy our beautiful, shiny product to selling you the experience. Come experience our beautiful, shiny product. That's what they tell you. See, I, I've talked about it. Uh, before, so forgive me, but when my daughter was getting the flyers and the pamphlets and the mail from the colleges, I would look through them and collect them. And it was just selling me the college experience is what it was doing. It wasn't about job placement or reasons for the degree, the total cost of the degree at the end. You figure that'd be in there somewhere, but it was the experience pictures of what, well, they believe college is laying on the grass in the quad, hopefully not streaking. <laughs> right the the images of the experience and they sell this image they sell this experience hell kids parents go nuts over sports spend fucking tens of thousands of dollars probably as much as the scholarship would cost trying to get the kid a scholarship fighting for that college experience as if they're going to go to college and get a degree and their life's going to be okay if you're a parent still walking around believing that shit, you're out of your fucking mind. You may be making it worse for them, too. You may be sitting there pushing the grades and pushing college, and you send them off to get a degree that everybody fucking has that doesn't matter anymore, that barely has placement. Now with God knows what kind of debt that maybe it was paid for, maybe it wasn't. You know, I, I only say that, like, I'm a little kicking in the front door a little bit, but just question your shit. Question what, you, what you're telling them, because you, be, you may be being sold. Or may, you may be thinking what you would have done if, right? If I just would have. And then when you try to live through them and then you're selling them the same way you were raised, expecting something different, right? Hell, I try to talk my daughter out of going to college. You watch enough reports, right? But no, I was there. I was there. So, But we have to be willing to change that. So they sell that experience to you. And social media sells this experience better than anybody. I mean, I, I joke about uh, the how podcasting and things used to be this underground pirate type stuff and, you know, anti-TV and network. And now all you see is, well, online networks. <laughs> they have YouTube and shows like this that have the beautiful setups, right? They look like an ESPN desk all laid out. It's kind of funny how we transition to that. But they sell you this experience very well. 
Come experience Universal Studios. Come experience the Lincoln. This dinner, that food, this place. Our airline, this vehicle, this food, this taste. It goes on and on. You got to have the experience. And I'm here to tell you, the experiences never stop. Experiences work just like money does or just like the next thing does. Because you need the next bigger house than the next thing, the next faster car, the next bigger sold out concert, whatever it is, it comes and doesn't stop. Well, neither do the experiences, right? So this caught on. It's caught on like wildfire. The marketing guys and the big company girls and the major companies picked up on this shit first. And they flipped it to selling you the experience. They were in polls how the um, uh, millennials were spending less money on things and spending more money on experience. Well, I get that. Well, things and experience kind of go hand in hand. This is where the line draws, right? Is well, I can have that experience and I'll have that. My Or is it a checklist? I, I did a whole podcast about your checklist, especially if you have one of, well, I want to go here, want to go here. These things, sure, have fun. Have the fun with it. But just think about where that fucking list comes from. Think about why you think you want to travel. Think about why you think you want to live that way or go to this place, right? Think about why you even think you want to go to that place, why you like that. Because that's as far as you got to go. Is you may have been sold that, that I want to experience that place or I will have reached the pinnacle in my life once I have gone there. I know I will have arrived. Once I've seen Bali, I will have arrived. Once I've gone there, I will have arrived. I need to see every I need to see every country in the in the world, then I will have arrived or right we see these as levels of checklists, right? The bucket list came out, right? I always say throw the fucking list away, man. Just live it now, right? But the idea is you got to be willing to check all that. So when it leads to the idea of the experience, you have to question, look, I'm a firm believer in creating your own experiences in life, right? You do that anyway. Even if you just wake up in the morning and don't do shit, well, you created that damn experience. You made that experience. You're still creating them even if you don't want to. And experiences that you create can be teaching. I write about them in my book, right? They can be life altering when we allow them to break through our concrete beliefs. And when we allow different perceptions to come into what we're choosing to do in our lives, sure, experiences are wonderful. But when you have now prostituted the idea of the experience, because most of the things in this country, when they ask you to come experience it, and if somebody's asking you, well, you got to pay that somebody that's asking you to come experience whatever it is they're asking you to experience. The sun doesn't hit you up and say, hey, come check out my experience in the morning or in the evening. It's pretty good. The tree doesn't call you like that. You don't get cold calls from the nature trails. You get it. So if you're being sold that experience, if somebody is telling you to come experience this, well, then more than likely you're going to pay for it. So for me, marketing got, they got quick. I watched these guys and girls. I watched these big companies is what I'm saying. They're big marketing development companies. They spend a lot of money researching all this stuff. I look at how they're trying to sell me. I watch this commercial, that commercial, this pop-up. All right, I see what you're doing. So this is where our society's gone to. Based on your research to sell me this, you had to construct this visual for me. And why? See, they shape it, right? I mean, for me, for the idea of like the Friends television show, right? I'll probably lose some fans on this one. But it created such a bullshit image 
of what life was like. Sure, you can be that way. You have all those friends, but I haven't met too many friends that have married and then got engaged and their best friend slept with their uh, fiance and then their husband, right? And you're all just hanging out in the end like it's all no big deal, right? We've all just traded STDs for the last 10 years, but it's all good, right? We're good. I mean, these are these are misconceptions of the reality, right? Maybe that's why we watch them because they're hopeful, right? They're entertaining, so we watch them. But whatever's entertaining or whatever is fun is still affecting, is still impacting your schema, your belief foundations, how you see the world, others, and self. And so once they realize or once they find how to sell you the experience that you want most, now social media helps them do it, right? The things you like, what do you, you click all the things you like, right? You're clicking on all this stuff. That's why you're seeing targeted ads right towards you. When they show you the things that you think are cool, the places, it's amazing. It's kind of trippy how they kind of pull out your developed marketing mind. I would say that you probably have some little area of your brain that has been socially and marketing uh, enforced and constructed on the way that you may think you need to live. I'm, I'm affected the same way. Don't get me twisted i'm not standing on a pulpit talking to you people i'm sitting here with y'all right i'm in that but when we could be aware that the experience that's why i pointed out be aware as if the if a company or if another person is selling you to come experience it and i'm not saying you don't go experience it i'm not saying it's not authentic or genuine to you but if you can at least be aware and see man what experience are you selling me why do i want to have that experience what's the purpose and meaning what am i going to learn what's you may not know anything right there's the joy of travel jill wheeler on the podcast travels everywhere didn't know what to expect just went out there creating experience man go for it that's a way to do that and she was doing it authentically for herself and had a, a undercover a mission that she was on at the same time but if your list of experiences that you must have. If I use that word must, I'm referencing in the book where uh, we say masturbation, right? I must have this. I must go there. I must do this. They become symbolism. They reflect where we are in our lives, right? Notches on the belt, right? We've checked them off the list. I mean, imagine this is why you see a lot of people that are very wealthy crash and burn. Because they expect that once you check all this stuff off, well, then you're just left with life. After you've gone there and traveled there, tasted that, went over here, you think because maybe you haven't lived that life that, oh, not you. You'd be all over. You'd be grateful, sure. But it all gets old eventually. The stuff, the places to travel, the experience, it does run out. Well, your money does. So just question the experience that they're selling you question why even you want the experience because the link to this is what i'm also seeing is a rise in anxiety a rise in anxiety diagnosis now mind you they widen the spectrum on purpose they gave it low severity levels etc at one time or another we all qualify i promise you for a varying and varying uh, disorders in the DSM, right? But when you see the rise of anxiety, we want to attribute it to social media. We want to attribute it to a faster lifestyle. We want to attribute it to a bunch of things. And sure, these are impactful. Maybe they play a role. Maybe they don't. Maybe they sometimes do, right? Whatever the variables are. But what I'm seeing, and I would correlate that if you are on social media, research has been done that if you're on social media a lot, that your anxiety does increase. And when you get off of it, it's the same idea, like a drug, almost a fixation, because you get endorphins, you you get, let's just say you you get pleased, right? You get chemically pleased in the brain. I'm kind of just laying it out there. You get chemically pleased in the in the brain through reward systems by comments, likes, etc. But when we experience social media like that, what I'm seeing is we also get to see, well, what you like, who you like, what you're following, 
So the life that they're leading or you think they're leading or the life they're selling, or maybe it really is them, right? They, they have their YouTube live on. I know it's who they are, right? Maybe that's their real life, even though it's constructed and laid out. Then when you start to see this, you start you compare. We judge. We look at where we are, what stuff reflects us. Have we checked off our experience list? So be careful of the experience you're being sold, but also what you're witnessing, what you're being subject to, or what you're subjecting yourself to. So what you're comparing to what you have done or haven't done or what you need to do, etc. You know, I saw and read today uh, that it was bad advice to tell somebody to live like it was your last day. And I would have to agree with that, that to live like it was your last day. If it was my last day, I may not see tomorrow. (laughs) So uh, if I live like that, well, it would be a short lived thing. So, you know, I also heard somewhere it's live like it's your first day. And that's something I can support. If you live like it's your first day, I write tons in my book about returning to that childhood like state of questioning why. Wanting and craving the experiences, but even as a child, many times, well, you didn't get to pick and pay for your experiences. You were just put there. One likely didn't have to pay for them either. So if we return to that childlike state, perhaps maybe the curiosity and interest and being able to question our list why we want to experience that, et cetera, and being humble enough to really go, fuck, why am I questioning that? Not just to answer it. There's a difference between questioning ourselves through open self-analysis or a humbled self-analysis or an objective or subjective one to where when we question it, we're really just looking for evidence to prove what we believe in the first place. So I'm not asking you to question those things by going, well, why do I want to experience that? Well, because I've said this and I saw it here and that's why, bam, I'm done. That's not what I'm going for. What I'm saying is to be willing to question even that, your answer and your response to why that, where that's linked to. And just because you can't answer it or just because you can't answer, excuse me, doesn't mean that it's solved that answer or riddle. But being able to be humbly analytical in the questioning of self, not critical. There's a difference between self-analysis and self-criticism. That's the difference you got to learn to understand. We get, we're huge critics of ourselves, right? We'll cut those down to size quickly. I'm just telling you to be open. Open to the possibility that what you believe about wanting that experience thing or the place or the now or the tomorrow may be off. It may not be your truth or your new truth because I would tell you whatever belief you think you answer that you know is truth, I'm telling you it's just your truth, not world or life truth. It doesn't guarantee it or concrete it. That's still just your perception. And so even if you think you have the answer for questioning yourself with all those whys, you can still rest assured knowing that Well, even if you think you factually have found that truth, that it's still just your perception of the truth and it's still open to interpretation. And that takes me to my third topic. I titled it as those friends. Now, some people, excuse me, my nose is getting a little runny lately. I feel my body fighting something off. I'm not knocking on wood though, saying I'm getting sick, but the vitamin C, ginger, garlic, it's, it's going to win. We win. But leading to the humility in those friends is what I meant. Are those friends or acquaintances, or human beings. They don't have to be friends. That can question you 
on your deepest philosophies that can question you and say, hey, I think this about you and your philosophy or your behavior as of late, and I really think you're being this or opposite that or not really yourself. You see, it's hard. I did a video a long time ago talking about no yes friends. I later did a video after some experience in life and kind of changed it to you got to have them both. You got to have the friends that go, yeah, man, if it makes you feel good, right? If you think it's good for you, then yeah, I support you. They don't always got to question you. But you also got to have the other friends that tell you, hey, man, nah, that ain't you. Don't do that shit. And those are also similarly those friends that also, if you're lucky enough, can tell you, hey, that philosophy I think you're leading, I don't think it's really you. I think you're really here. There's a few reasons. Because be grateful that they can say those hardest things to you because that's a gift that they give you to those that question what you believe. Because in further analysis, weighing their gift to you, one of two things will happen. One, you'll either change and apply their criticism and then go say thank you because then it can help. This is connecting back to what I was talking about, that humble analytical mind being willing to even question your own truth if you can let that in even with experiences then when those friends are not even friends or just acquaintances or somebody just questions what all your intentions are what all your beliefs are that you think you've been leading generally if you respond to that person aggressively off off rip more than likely that's the person that's questioning that philosophy that you hold to be your foundation but if you can Kind of eat that and go, hmm, let me entertain that for a while. That first thing I said will happen because you'll either entertain it, analyze it, process it, observe it, and say, hey, they were right. Thanks for pointing that tough stuff out to me. But even better, thank yourself because, well, you did the work. You were willing to question it and listen and then apply. That's the hardest part. The advice is the easy part when it comes to the actual change. Or two, the second thing that will happen. It'll prove you even further that the path that you're on is your authentic path. It'll concrete it for you. But this cannot be unless you were first willing to entertain the possibility that they may be right and you may be wrong. From there, you can cultivate a new or reaffirm your personal truth with more of a rational filter using the yes friends and the no friends. So I appreciate the friends out there that can say and question that hard stuff with me as of recently that happened. And well, number two happened after I reassessed and took in his advice or his objective proposition. There was two. Is my foundation was reaffirmed that I was authentic and where I was coming from. Because I am that conundrum, that walking rational romantic who sees the world through a pessimistic lens but then speaks it in more of an optimistic tone. Because to me, if you're an artist, a creator, an innovator, it's easy to sit around and point out how shitty the world is and how other people are. Because we all can do that. And especially if you're an innovator, creator, or a poet, and you can write a poem that's deep and dark, or a story or a movie that's uh, deep and dark. Well, you're just bringing to light 
what everybody else sees in some fancier fashion. That if you do have that gift to be an innovator, a creator, a poet, a maker, a speaker, if you hold some influence on others, then I think it's more our job to shape what people don't see, to see the beauty in what does exist, because that's what they can't see in this shit-fucked world. But if we can point out the beauty parts that are still a foundation or still an anchor, then perhaps we can give those people we have influence on enough hope that there is something left to build on, that there is something left to grow together on top of and not cause more division and more duality by choosing more teams. But that's just me, and I'm okay with that. But when those friends can point it out, I'm one grateful person for that. Because it allows me to walk down paths of self-analysis I may not have done before. So I love you for it. Makes me better. What I was going to talk about on a few other podcasts that I hadn't got to, it's kind of a brief, brief talk, if you will little thing I used to do about codependent relationships when I was working in the rehab facilities. Because trust me, there's a lot of codependent relationships being built inside rehabs and at meetings. And you're a fool if you think otherwise. Hmm. And I saw a lot of that. And a lot of times it seems like a good idea. It feels like a good idea because you think it. You may even believe it. You know how many times I heard a couple tell me that we're going to do this together. And we're going to get clean together. And it worked for some time. And I'm not saying it doesn't. There's outliers. So if you're that couple, you're the fucking shit. Good for you. I'm, I'm happy for you, man. I really am. You're outliers, right? But more than likely, it doesn't. See, I used to call two people up when I do the group. Excuse me. And I'd call two people up. And I'd turn them around. And I'd make them face each other back to back. And I'd have them lean on each other. And I said, this would be a codependent relationship here. Now, I got him leaning at a good distance, not just heel to heel and leaning, but leaning. And I said, look, this is a codependent relationship here. And I said, oh, all I need is, let's say I'd point at one of them. And I said, let's say Sally here starts to use again. But uncontrollably beyond where it's self-destructive. It starts to fall. And I tell her to start to slide to the side a little bit. She starts to slide to the side. And well, eventually the guy would fall backwards or he'd catch his feet and they both fall. And I'd say, well, this, this is your metaphoric, your display, your visual to take in of codependency. Because if you're both wounded and you're leaning on each other, well, neither one of you have real support. But I know when you're in the middle of it. That without them, well, you wouldn't have any support. And perhaps I would tell you this is the enabling part because you've always had that to lean on. You've had no reason to stand up. So until you can stand up on your own, then you can't be there for somebody else. In a relationship, I would argue that differently in a, in a community setting because a lot of times getting out of your own life and going to help other people can be the number one thing you actually need it, even though it's selfishly induced. Still helping somebody else helps you at the same time can really pull you out of somewhere. But in a relationship, starting a relationship with somebody, if you're wounded and bent over and they're wounded and bent backwards and you're both bent back, leaning on each other, not a good start. There are outliers, sure. But then I would do it differently and I would have them stand up, turn around and face each other. 
Then I'd have one start to lean. Oh, I wouldn't have them face each other. I'm sorry. I'd have them stand up and I'd have them stand side to side, shoulder to shoulder. Then I'd have one lean to the right, the other one lean to the right and left, and I'd have them go back and forth. And you could see that they could actually support each other in those times of leaning. And tragically, many times, relationships that both start out that way, both people can end up being wounded at the same time. And, well, what you get is that back-to-back relationship. That's why I tell you to go outside and seek some help from other people. Go outside of your relationship and bring in the help of friends and group and family members. Don't talk about them behind their back or on the phone or on social media or gather in rooms or at places and talk. Bring everybody together and talk about it. Work on that community and that family to help work through issues like that. It's a good way to do that. It's not lean that way. There are, there's family help, if you will, or family therapy, but I think bringing in the surrounding family can help too, ones that are actually involved. See, a lot of times what leads to abusive relationships is the codependency. Codependency itself can be almost abusive to each other. You're abusing yourself in the relationship. So if you would look at yourself in a relationship and just you, so look at yourself and imagine yourself. I used to draw this on a whiteboard. I was the madman on the whiteboard. But uh, imagine yourself, just a little bubble right there and your little names in it with the bubble floating. That's you. Now I want you to just draw small circles all around that bubble of all the things that is your life, the good things you bring in, the family, right? the friends, the places, the memories, your hobbies, whatever. Make those circles and how many of those things you bring in. Go ahead and make some circles for some bad ones too that you bring in. Some things that maybe you have an addiction issue that you're currently dealing with. Maybe right out of a relationship. Maybe you've been abused before. These are things you bring into the relationship. Then the other person, they have their things, right? So when two people get together, those bubbles should add to each other's lives. You should increase each other's lives. They're bringing their friends, their hobbies, their fun things to do, their family. The same for you. When those come together, well, that's a lot of bubbles. Comes with a lot of baggage and shit too, right? But still, so you're looking at the bubbles that are you're bringing in. And when you can share those bubbles with each other, when you can respect them, enjoy them together. Be there for one another with them and through them. Share them. Well, now you're creating a healthy relationship. But see, the way you can start to point out an abusive relationship is one of those people will start bursting the other, per- the other person's bubbles. They start trying to take them away. The friends, the hobbies, the gym. They start taking those away, telling you you can't go there anymore. Why do you go there? I don't like it when you, well, I should go with you. They find a way. And for anybody that doesn't know, the first step that an abuser does is isolation. The first thing they want to get to is isolation. They start popping those bubbles. They want to move now. They want to take you and move to a place. But then they start in on you verbally, breaking you down leads to a form of control. That's what you have to be careful of. So when you're looking at the bubble example or your relationship, look at that. Look if you brought in bubbles, shared bubbles. Did you bring good things to the relationship? Are you enhancing their life too? Because see, the thing with relationships is we all think we're fucking owed one. Because we can easily get it, right? We can go out, we can talk. Hell, you can go online, which I'm not a fan of. 
which you can go online and date. You can, we're also, we all think we're owed some kind of fucking relationship. Well, to me, just like a kid or just like driving, driving, you need a license. I'm, I don't know. I may have to visit that license to have a kid thing. I don't know. Right. I know we infringe on some shit, but I'm just saying, I mean, I'm thinking about the kids in that scenario that, that, that are, you know, birth to a family or a mother that's not ready or a father that's not ready. But anyways, besides the point, oh, getting lost is <laughs> bad. I get too far off. So look at the relationship, right? Are they, are they bursting bubbles in your life or adding to it? Or are you enhancing each other? Are you maybe even willing to share new experiences, but not just because the other one, well, mindlessly wants to, or has a checklist. They just must do because then when you can get that far of questioning bringing back up questioning self in a humble analytical method and a mind frame when you can do that too in a relationship well then you can also make relationships work because communication is about vulnerability vulnerability and humility when you can apply that in communication well then you can see you can open up you can grow and learn things but beware be careful about the bubble popping, right? Then you know that reference. You can talk to somebody else about it. So how do you know if you're in a good relationship, right? Or how do you find the right relationship? Oh, excuse me. Sorry about the nose, y'all. To get the perfect answer for that, actually, uh, my mentor, Leo Ball, who I write about tons in my book, uh, he was... Episode 52, which we really didn't plan. The 52 is my lucky number, but um, we couldn't get his computer to work. We were still really bad with technology back then. Uh, but he did the interview over the phone, uh, and he has a method. He specialized in relationships, etc. cetera. Uh, but anyway, he has his steps of finding the right, right relationship. So I would suggest that you go back and listen to episode 52 of Leo talking about it because we've talked about now how to point out abusive relationships, how to point out codependent relationships, right? Now, there's levels of codependency. It has a negative connotation. But if a relationship can work in a teamwork effort, now we have a different ball game, right? If they're, both parties are aware of what's happening, who's doing what team, there's... Uh, will involve there's an understanding of each other um a lot of times people could look at that as codependent um, but the teamwork of building is a different um a, a different idea if you will so i was speaking mainly about the codependent relationships but for me when i talk about picking a relationship or something like that i don't think there's any magical method if you will to finding the perfect person Right, they've tried it with Match.com and computer programs, and uh, God, eHarmony. They try one with essays and comparing different things. Right, they try to match it up. Oh, excuse me, but we've all met under different circumstances. Hell, my last marriage, I did it by the damn book. Think about it. I was a counselor. I did everything <laughs> the way that you're supposed to do it. Right, waited the time, the kind of person. Right, um, and that didn't work. I wasn't the right person good person but it wasn't the right person and then the way i met patricia is just well irrational <laughs> and well it works right so to talk about methods about how you make it work perfectly or how you find the perfect person well this is irrational so look if if there was there wouldn't be so many books on it right if somebody had the key to the right relationship there would be so many books on it but i just try to give you something to think about 
When I talk about relationships in this method, I talk about standards, expectations, and preferences. So you can have your standards, which I think is imperative. I talked to Morgan, my daughter, about standards. These are the standards that I have, right? People confuse standards, expectations, and preferences, and that's where they get in trouble. Standards are basically your line in the sand. This is a minimum, what must be. <laughs> this has to be. This needs to be here, period. And this, these are the things that cannot happen to me, period. The standards. Because once those standards are crossed, physical abuse or something, once that happens, you got to know what to do. Once that line is crossed, you got to be willing to leave. So those are your standards. It's good to know what your standards are when you're dating and don't lower those for anyone, for anybody at any time. Now they're subjective, so they're yours, but it's your own truth of what that standard is. But what happens, right? People get older, they've dated a while, etc. so they start lowering their standards. Well, why? I ask you to question this too because you may think that you're supposed to be in a relationship. You may be afraid of being alone or you don't want to be alone. You've been single forever or you've always been in relationships, right? So you have to go deeper, right, first into what you're looking for and why you're looking for. That way you're not making the wrong choice repeatedly. You keep making the same choice of the same relationship generally when you're not questioning why it is you're even looking for a relationship or, well, you're leaning on somebody else's back or you got bubbles all around you that don't level out or balance out. See, expectations, well, you can expect certain things. Now, I would warn you that expectations, well, they lead to assumptions that you may have expectations of a mate or the relationship you're in currently. And based on those expectations that you set for yourself, when they are not met, you then make assumptions. This is how you pissed yourself off. Your partner in the relationship doesn't piss you off. And to save your own ass, you don't piss them off either. They have expectations based on that. When you don't fulfill the expectations, they make assumptions in their mind about what you should be or should have done. Then their thought pattern makes them upset or angry. So it wasn't you. I'll save your ass there on that one. But expectations are things that you just may like. I just expect a person that I'm with to say nice things to me. I expect the person that I'm with to talk to me in a nice tone, to tell me I'm smart, to tell me I'm beautiful, right? These are all vanity things, but I'm throwing easy examples out there to you. But at least it's an expectation where if you meet somebody, they meet all your standards, they may even sprinkle some expectation in there. Then you're going, hey, I got a little expectation too, but you got to be careful that you don't then expect it all the time. So expectations are, well, the sprinkles, not the cherry. You see, preferences are the cherry. This is where people get in trouble. Is when you prefer something, this is the top. Well, I prefer that. I prefer this kind of person. Well, now what you've done is limited your options. So now you've taken your standards, your nice expectations where it could work with something. You lay your preferences down on top of that. Well, it may be a while. Maybe it's been a while. Maybe the reason it's been a while is because, well, you used to and tried a bunch, and they all failed real terribly. So now you haven't for a while, and you prefer that. Well, I would say that maybe your standards and expectations weren't well-defined. And possibly, well, you may not have loved yourself enough either. Because when we know what we bring to the table, that's what I meant about deserving a relationship. We all just go out and start one because we think we deserve one. Well, look at yourself, and what do you really bring to the table? I used to make a joke, and... In the addiction facility, it may not go over well here now, but at the time it did, where I would say, what do you bring to the table other than a disability check? 
because that's what I'd hear them talk about. We'll put our two disability together checks together and we'll we'll make it here and rent a place, right? What do you really bring to the table other than that thing or those things or that paycheck or that job? What do you really bring other than that? And that's where it's hard. That's where, again, it goes back to being able to humbly question self with an analytical mind frame, not a critical mind frame, to do it with the friends when you get that tough advice, to do it when you get hit with the media and the news, and to do it in the relationships and self. What do I really bring to the table? And maybe the level of health that I bring to this relationship may be the level of health that I'm finding. And it may be my health I need to work on and question those things first. And then when I can bring my authentic self to the table, well, then maybe my standards, expectations, and preferences may change because the beliefs about why I want a relationship will change because the beliefs about who I am will change. To end the podcast, I want you to think of a defining moment in your life, maybe the most defining moment in your life. And I'm talking about not those most defining moments that we all like to spend as speakers and say, well, that tough shit I went through in my life, that was the defining moment really, right? And then we spin into how it made us awesome bloggers <laughs> and speakers. But that defining moment where well, maybe for a second you felt like you had arrived where you had done it or it was working well. What moment was that that you were most proud of? And now move beyond that moment and think about the time in your life. What time or era of your life are you most proud of? So when people ask me, what's therapy like? What's self-help books like? I kind of say, well, find what works for you and do more of that. Find what doesn't work for you and, well, do less of that. So when you look back at that defining era of your life, just simply look at what you were doing then. Not who was in your life then. They have an impact as well. But I don't want you to anchor that good time on because of that person being around or because I had that job. Don't let that title or that belonging to that group that I talked about in the beginning of this podcast hold you to some belief or some schema that it was that that put you there. So if you're asking, how do you change your life or how do you get back to that? Humbly question self. Humbly analyze your past, your present, and look toward the future like a curious child. Open Loving, curious, and humble, and vulnerable. When you can do that with yourself and be kind to yourself, well, you do it yourself. And that's what I mean when I say, I hope you're taking care of you. It goes further when I talk to you about how you live your cognitive rampage. That you can come do this Saturday. This Saturday in Orlando, it's really Windermere, Florida, but in Windermere, Florida, it's basically Orlando for those that are around. 
You can find it at the website, adamlowry.com, cognitiverampage.com. It's on there. Scroll all the way to the bottom. You can find where you click there. And I've said it all over social media, and I'll say it here too. Please, I don't want money to be a reason that you don't come to this. So if money is an issue, come anyway. If you got the book, great. Maybe if you just buy the $8 or $13 book, just wave that at the at the front door when you're coming in. I'll let you in. Because it's not all glitz and glamour. I'm not putting on no damn Tony Robbins bullshit where I'm standing up there dancing for an hour and a half, playing shit, talking really loud, sweating all over you, giving away shit, you know, getting everybody to chant with me. This is intimate. It's close. It's interactive. I'm going to ask questions. We're going to grow together. We're going to build it together. I'm going to teach you how to use the principles of change in the book. I'm going to teach you the principles of change. I'm going to teach you how to use the tools of change. We're going to build your life philosophy foundation. I'm going to show you how to use RSA, rational self-analysis. I'm going to show you how to use the IDE inventory and how to apply that and use it and work it. We're going to build your cognitive rampage together. That's what that event's about. It's from it's 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Uh, I got coffee, drinks, and some uh, healthy snacks and stuff. There's only a half an hour break anyway. We're going all in. It's five hours of kicking your front door psychology. So it's, it's I'm going to be sweating. It's going to get rough now. So we're going to put some work in, some mental work in. Hell, if you put that much time into your job, you put that much time in your financial, you put that much time in your physical, you put that much time in your family, how much time are you putting into actual mental work? Not mental relaxation and not mental work where you're at work work, but where you're actually growing the mind, where you're actually growing personal awareness, competence, that's putting in mental work. And that's this Saturday, man. AdamLowry.com. You can find it on Facebook too. Click on it. If you're a member of the Tribe of Change on Facebook, um, join that group. You'll get the password to give you the $50 off the $150 ticket. But again, don't let money pull you away from that, man. Come to it anyway. Uh, and if you got a friend, if you already bought a ticket and you got a friend that wants to go that doesn't have the money or whatever, bring them with you. Just bring somebody with you. If you got a ticket, bring them with you. We'll find a seat. We'll cram you in there. It holds 65. Um, so we'll, we'll cram some seats in if we got to, whatever. Um, we're going to make it work. But I'm going to be doing these probably every two months, something like that, uh, where I can build up and deliver something new. But this one's about moving through life transitions, addiction, abuse, or even just self-optimization. If you're looking to push further, gain personal awareness and do that in a scientific application, that's what it's about. You can buy the book on Amazon. Search Cognitive Rampage. Subscribe to us on YouTube if you're watching this shit. You already know. You can watch us live. If you're subscribed to us, you'll be notified when we're live, when the new videos come out. But we really run everything through iTunes. Um, that's uh, that's where we drive all the traffic toward. But we've been on there a long time. But uh, subscribe to us on iTunes as well. Find me on Facebook. Say what's up. Love you. Hope you're taking care of you. Hope you're living your Cognitive Rampage. <laughs>